my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the HR Sound Off Podcast Show. My name is Julie Turney, and I am your host. Thank you for joining me. I know that you could be doing so many other things today, and the fact that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast show shows me that you appreciate the content that I put out, so thank you. Today, we're going to have a little bit of a different conversation. So in still in connection with HR, you can still put your HR hat on, don't worry, um, but today... I, today's guest, let me start by saying this. Today's guest, I was absolutely inspired. I'm blown away when I saw a video. I saw her do a couple interviews and I I heard a talk and I said, let me go get this book. And the book that I'm talking about is called Fat Girls in Black Bodies, Creating Our Own Communities. Now, if you've never met me or you don't know me that well, then you don't know. I'm a I'm plus size, if you can't tell. <laughs> this book was has been a true inspiration for me. And I'm so appreciative that, that Dr. Joy Cox is joining me today as we talk about this book and also talk about body shaming in the workplace, amongst other things, and, and why it's important for us to have this conversation now as we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. So Dr. Cox, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Thank you so much for, for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, doing awesome. great. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So as I said, um, I'd love the audience to just to get to know you a little bit better. So please tell us your origin story and then we'll get into the how and why of your book and what it's all about. Well, yeah. Joy Cox. Awesome. So, um, so Joy Cox, Joy Cox is, um, Joy Cox is a sister. Uh, Joy Cox is a friend. Joy Cox is a researcher, um, teacher, educator, um, I really started to study fat acceptance during my master's program. Um, So about 2012, maybe 2013, I really got into um, studying matters of identity, particularly stigmatized identities and how they navigate the world around them. Uh, As for me, I am a black fat cisgender woman. I've been fat as as long as I can remember. Um, In the book, I kind of talk about part of my origin story starts Mm -hmm. when my dad kind of notices that I'm heavier than everyone else. um, And I was four years old at that time. And so, um, you know, I'm the middle child of of two, uh, well, there's three of us in total, right? Um, I have two sisters, one that's older than me and one that's younger than me. Mm -hmm. Um, But still being that age and being pointed out that you are the largest among your sisters, um, you know, was, was a defining moment for me. Um, I grew up my whole life living in a larger body. And so just learning how to navigate systems and spaces has always kind of been like 
what I would say the norm for me, right? Not being able to fit into things, knowing how to go shopping for things. And as we talk a little bit more about, um, you know, fat shaming in the workplace, you know, there is no greater dread, I think, for me than going shopping for for business casual attire, mm. um, just because of the limited options that are out there um, for people who are hippie, um, who don't fit into straight sizes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's 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 pretty much been a passion of mine to kind of work in a space that if we are going to talk about diversity and inclusion, that we do need to to include um, identities that are often not talked about, identities that are stigmatized, and identities that in, uh, that intersect with one another, right? So, what does it mean to be black and fat in a space? Yeah. What does it mean to be black, fat, and a woman? in a space. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to have those conversations because um, it gets at the nuance of the lived experiences of individuals. And so um, I've spent the last few years doing that research. My dissertation was on that. I got a mm -hmm. PhD um, in communication around these same um, ideas wow. and concepts. Um, and then I wrote the book. Yeah. And the book came out in 2020. Um, which which was kind of a an ode to fat girls everywhere right yeah. um yeah. so the book is like equal parts um encouragement and also um myth busting if you will mm -hmm. um about you know what fat people do and how we live our lives and what matters to us um yeah and it kind of brings me up to speed to where i am right now and yeah. so uh, that's a that's a short version of, of my origin story, but really how I've gotten to this space. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that, because I think it, it really is important that I don't think we've had this. I don't I don't hear people having this conversation. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation as a flat, fat black woman living in the Caribbean, um, having been fat shamed whew, for as long as I can remember. Um, and I, I, I didn't start my life as being heavy set, but I come from a family that is this way. And I kind of started to gain my weight around my, after the birth of my first son. Hmm. So in my mid teenage years, then my early twenties and right through to my forties, I've always been heavy set. So the, that's the majority of my life versus yeah. my early, early years and, in the Caribbean, there's just a way that you are spoken of as a plus size person that, yeah, just really gets to, can get to you, even though you love who you are, mm -hmm. because don't, I love who I am. Mm -hmm. And even if I think about, and even as I think about losing weight, I still think about the things I didn't like about being smaller, which was I didn't like having a long neck. I don't like the scoops in my, <laughs> the soup scoops in my shoulders. Yeah. Um, there are certain things that I don't like, um, but I there are lots of things that I love about the size that I am. And in the Caribbean, there's a way of being spoken of or spoken to as a heavy set person, especially by the older generation. You will often hear things like, "Oh, girl, you put on more weight." Yeah. Don't put on no more weight. Don't put on no more weight. You know, or last time I see you was that big. You get real big. You know, you will hear those things. And mm -hmm. even though it may, you may be like, I love me, you know, there's something about it that still guts you. You know what I mean? Right, right. For sure. I mean, I think that 
um, self-care and self-love can help to mediate mediate the 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 you know or mitigate should I say the impacts of of weight stigma, but it doesn't eradicate it. Right. No. Nobody still likes to be talked to in in particular ways, even if they've gotten to a place in their lives where they have fully accepted themselves. Exactly. And and that says nothing about who I am on the inside. Right. That says nothing about my how smart I am and you know how much I love and how much I give. It doesn't say anything about the qualities of who I am on the inside. You're judging me by who I am on the outside. And in your book, you talk a lot about this. You talk about this three-step guide um, to, you know, how we can build ourselves as fat Black women creating our own communities. And you speak to, you speak to belonging. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so important because, we, you know, it's very hard to create your own communities. You speak to um, resistance. And, yeah. and acceptance, right? Yeah. So tell us what you mean by, by these three things. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think part of it is that belonging, you know, when I talk about my story being four years old mm-hmm. and somebody saying, you know, my dad, for the people who haven't read the book, I, I talk about this thing that my dad used to do, which was like an, an airplane or a spaceship thing. And we just stand in front of him. And my dad was a little bit over six feet. And so you can imagine somebody, a kid that's four years old, who's super short, right? Who gets to get lifted up by their dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all that it was. We would stand in front of him. He would lift us up right over his head and we mm-hmm. would see heights that we've never seen before and then he'd bring us back down um and one day he told me right so we're all standing in line to to get our ride and he and he lifts me up and he brings me back down and he says you know oh you know joy you know your dad can't keep lifting you can't you know he can't keep lifting you the way the way that he the, the way that he does mm-hmm. um And I remember as a kid kind of like shaking my head, like, you know, you don't know, right? Like, I don't know exactly what that means, but one of the things that stood out to me or a couple of things, right, is that my sister was older and he didn't say it to her. Right. And he didn't say it to the younger ones. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I think as I got older and started putting pieces together, because more things are being said, what I start to realize is that there are certain places I don't belong right? Like there's just certain places where people are saying, you're too big for this. You're too heavy for this. You won't fit this, right? You won't fit these clothes. This won't look good on you. Mm. And all of that screams to you don't belong. You don't belong. You don't belong. You don't belong. Right. And so growing up in a family where things are being said and done, that signal you don't belong almost makes you have a curiosity about like, well, where do I belong? belong. Mm -hmm. Right. Where do I belong? Where do I fit as an individual? Mm -hmm. Right. And what are the things about me that are causing me not to fit in or not to belong? Um, You know, and here in the States, right. This idea is that you can change certain things about yourself. Right. And and weight being one of them. Mm -hmm. So I spent my time, you know, on the hamster wheel of trying to change those things in hopes of, you know, fostering a greater sense of belonging with peers and with family and all of those things. And and I started to notice that that was a dead end trail. Mm -hmm. Um, And aside from that, it's like, as your, as your network is growing, you're also now understanding like, okay, wait, not only do you not belong 
with your family, your friends, but you also kind of don't belong in society, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm going to doctor's office and visits and they're telling me this doesn't work and you need to fix this and so yeah. on and so forth. So the, the concept of belonging really comes shaped out of that space, yeah. right? Which kind of put me on a search for community because what I was being um, afforded didn't give me all of what I was looking for. Right. Um, and then talking about resistance, right? Um, some of it was like, okay, now I'm in this space and now you realize that you don't belong. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Yeah. Right. Like, what are you going to do about it? And I guess if I were to talk about this in order, it would be acceptance before resistance, just because yeah. at some point I had to come to grips with myself, right? Mm-hmm. I had to be okay with me. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't necessarily me, you know, picking up a picket and running around and telling everybody, hey, you have to respect me. Right. But it was like the quiet hours, right? Yeah. The things that you do when nobody else is around, when you're standing in front of the mirror, you're thinking about wearing a thing. Yeah. And it's like, I don't like the way my knees look in this, right? And for me, I used to live alone. So I spent a lot of time talking to myself, whatever, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm my biggest audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would ask myself, well, why don't you like your knees, right? What is it about your knees you don't like? Well, I don't like the way they look. Well, why you don't like the way that they look, Joy? Well, because I think that they look like X. And what I started to realize is that there were things that were said to me and growing up that I had carried. Yeah. Even if you like brush it off and you're like, whatever, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a family member who was close to me um, who told me once that my legs look like tree trunks. Mm. And I remember, you know, processing in my mind, logically knowing that my legs do not actually look like tree trunks. Mm-hmm. Right. But not being able to shake the resemblance when I look in the mirror and it's like, man, they are brown you know, they, 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 they are a little Brown, Mm -hmm. they are thick. Right. So it wasn't so much that they actually look like tree trunks, but I started to resonate with that, you know, with that idea. And as a result, I was like, ah, I don't want to wear this. I don't want to wear that. Mm -hmm. So coming to a place of acceptance was unpacking all of that stuff. Yeah. The things that family told you, the things that friends told you, the things that people told you and said they were just joking about Mm -hmm. the things that, you know, medical professionals had told me over, over the the span of my life. Um, And what happened was it, it kind of brought me back to myself. Yeah. Right. And I started to realize, like you were saying earlier, no, there's actually things that I like about my body. Mm -hmm. Um, I like about my body at the size that it is, right? I absolutely adore, love my hips. Mm -hmm. My hips, do they cause me issues when I'm trying to board a plane? Absolutely, right? Do I have to turn to the side and shuffle, right? Am I always telling people like, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, excuse me. Yes, Um, but does that mean that I don't love what they are and and how they look? No, Mm -hmm. um, I do. Uh, But acceptance brought me to that space, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of um, stripping my mind of, the stereotypes and the ideologies about my body and about larger bodies as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of transitioned me into a place of resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, because after you find out your worth, you're not going to accept any, just any old thing. Right. right? No. And so now here I am in this place of acceptance and like, yeah, I'm going to get on the plane and I'm not going to hurt myself. I'm going to ask for an extender. Mm-hmm. right? Like I, it's just the way that it is. Yeah. And if you don't have extenders, I'm going to want to know why you don't have extenders, mm-hmm. right? Um, if a, if a doctor tells me, you know, you're not healthy because you're X amount of pounds, I'm going to ask you, show me, Yeah, show me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. going to accept just the idea that 
um, oh, well, you can tell something just by looking at me, right? Yeah. Or I'm gonna I'm gonna accept subpar care because of the body that I live in. And I know that bodies aren't valued because there is no sense of belonging for us in these spaces. Yeah. I'm not gonna do that. And so resistance is like actively pushing against um, those ideas and those mm-hmm. concepts and ideologies and stereotypes and really finding my lane, right? My way of being able to do that in yeah. a space that I feel empowered too. Um, and so writing the book was part of that, right? Part of a form of, of resistance, mm-hmm. speaking up whenever you see weight stigma happening. Mm-hmm. So, part of resistance and then pointing out and educating like what that you know what weight stigma looks like yeah, and yeah. what it what it looks like within the context of racism mm-hmm. um what does it look like in the context of sexism yeah. um all of those things and so mm-hmm. I kind of use my education um and all of that to well I used it to formulate the book mm-hmm. um around <laughs> these ideas because to me those are the things that stick out the most yeah um and just the lived experience of, of what it means to be a fat girl in a black body. Yeah. I resonate with this book so much and I resonate with you. I mean, we spoke a couple mm-hmm. of weeks back before we did the interview today and just talking with you, I knew in that moment that we resonated so much in our yeah. stories about, you know, our experiences in the workplace. And, and I want to, I want to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm what it looks like because people are fat for different reasons right um and I think that's the first thing that people need to understand my weight problem comes from having thyroid issues hormonal issues things that happen as a result of giving birth to three babies for goodness Mm -hmm. sake um you know and other people have weight issues for other reasons so it's not because people are lazy and they just sit down and they eat all day long, which I think is a stigma that a lot of people have towards fat people. Mm-hmm. It's not a disease. If you touch us, you're not going to get fat. Yeah. Um, and, and I hate that I experienced that. Um, but that's re- people really do believe that. And there are lots of different reasons why people believe that people are fat. What are some of the ways that we can positively deal with some of these stigmas that we experience um so i think this i think some of this is where like the resistance part kind of kicks up Mm -hmm. Uh, because i think that there is always a notion that the people who are being mistreated are the people who have to learn how to deal Mm. i kind of push against that notion a little bit right Mm -hmm. so some of this is smiling at people and telling them to mind their own business um, some of this is if you, if you feel like, you know, you can entrust information with another person, um, and that's the labor that you want to do fine. Let's walk them down, you know, mm-hmm. let's walk them down this path and say, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm larger because I, I have hormone issues. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that sense, like, I don't feel like people should have to, provide an explanation for the way that their body operates um, and the way that it works. Um, But what I would say is if you are thinking about your own um, mental well-being, right, in the workplace, Mm -hmm. um, I think some things only work by people saying stuff. And I think that it's okay to tell someone, you know, that you don't do body talk. Yeah. Right. Like that's not something that you actively participate in. and I, I like to give people pointers like this because I think there are ways that we will formulate and shape how mm-hmm. we will say a thing yeah. um, as opposed to me saying, well, say this. Like, 
if you don't participate in body talk, you'll find a way to be able to tell somebody like, hey, this is not mm-hmm. really my thing. Yeah. It's not my jam, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes people come to me with the like, oh, I shouldn't have ate that. I shouldn't have, you know, that yeah. thing that can easily kind of pull you into conversations, mm-hmm. you know, and I have moments of, of you know, debriefing with them. I say, well, you ate it, right? Yes. Did you enjoy it? Yes. So why are we here? Mm. Yeah, you're right. You know what? You're right about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have a nice day. I'll talk to you later. Right. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be in a position where I'm, or allow myself to be put in a position where I'm going to sulk with you about the choices that you've made, you know, about your yeah. body. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that weight is one of those things that um, is so openly discussed without the thought of how other people feel that people can just say whatever, right? Yeah. Like anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at her thighs. Her thighs are so fat. Da, da, da. Like people just kind of run off at the mouth. Um, Even when it comes to uh, everybody wears those fitness trackers on their, you know, on their wrists, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to take the stairs. Like, you know, don't, you know, conserve energy. Don't take elevators and stuff. And it's like, well, you don't know if somebody's dealing with a disability where they can't take stairs. Mm-hmm. Right. And so sometimes it is just flagging and saying, hey, you kind of probably don't want to say that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Mm -hmm. I just did a presentation not too long ago um, and I talked to the students at at where I, you know, where I'm where I'm at at the medical school. And I say, you know, there's 13 percent of individuals over the age of 50 that still struggle with an eating disorder. So when you bring fat talk into the workplace, you could be sitting beside somebody who has an eating disorder or who has recovered from an eating disorder and you don't know, mm-hmm. right? So let's be mindful of the language that we use. If somebody comes to me and they tell me that you're feeling fat, I said that before. I said, don't put that on me because what yeah. you're saying is you feel unattractive, mm-hmm. okay? And I am not unattractive. Please do not speak for the group, yes. <laughs> right? Um, and, and, you know, and some, and sometimes I do, I incorporate humor into what I have to say, cause I, I believe that people still get the message, mm-hmm. um, you know, but then there are other times when you need to be direct. Uh, and then I also tell people there may be times where you, you know, you just get up from the table, exit the, exit the conversation, exit the conversation. Yeah. Right. Um, if you don't have the bandwidth to talk about it, argue about it, debate about it, you don't feel like doing it. Mm-hmm. right you just like okay this is where I'm stepping out y'all have a nice day mm-hmm. you know it was good seeing you goodbye mm-hmm. um you know it's not necessarily the the responsibility of us to educate everybody about um these things um and so don't put that on yourself too and feel like you have to do everything yeah that's great advice thank you so much I love that you know that you can walk away from the conversation or just say look I, I don't talk about these things. Yeah. Like I personally have never thought about that. Like mm-hmm. when people bring it up, sometimes depending on where the, the, the crowd that we're in and being an introvert, it automatically triggers me. Yeah. You know? Um, so there are lots of other things around that, but having ways to deal with it as a coping mechanism, especially in the workplace are very important. So I really appreciate you sharing that. One of the places where I see this bias, the fat phobia bias a lot is in the recruiting space. Mm. You have, you, you recruit for a job. You do not, I guess if you're looking at what is the persona, what does that person look like? 
if you do like design thinking, you're just thinking about what, who is this person? What is their name? Where do they live? What are the things they love to do? I don't think anywhere in create a persona do you go, is this person fat, thin, or in between? Right, right. Um, but when it comes to recruiting, there are many times that I've seen, and, I, and I've been the brunt of and suffered from losing opportunities because I'm heavy set. And I know that that's the reason, because I can tell from the minute you look at me when I walk in the room, when you do this up and down thing, yeah, yeah. you look in complete shock and horror at the voice that you hear on the phone or the person you see on a video call. And then when you see the person in real life and you go, oh my God, like I can see you go, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So how do we, what are some of the things that we can do as HR, as recruiters in the talent acquisition space for ourselves? Because we will, we, it's very easy to create bias for whatever reason in any form of body shaming, whether it's tattoos, hair color, but fat phobia, um, especially. And how can we also have constructive conversations with our hiring managers um, who make up our panels when certain things are said? um, How do we speak up for that? Yeah, so uh, so a few things. One is that, so fat phobia operates across contexts, right? Um, and you have an institutional concept or a con- concept that may, um, that's written into policy in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. That prohibit people of larger sizes to be able to thrive in a workplace. And then you have the interpersonal aspect, which um, which I think that you're getting at a lot when you deal with hiring managers and people, you know, when you're coming in for an interview mm-hmm. and you are, you know, talking to the candidate. And then you have the internal uh, aspect of things, right? And that's how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that whenever we start talking about hiring practices um, within HR, we're talking about all three of those things. And in some ways, we're talking yeah. about them simultaneously, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so internally, how somebody feels about themselves is going to have a lot to do with how they then interact with other people interpersonally. And so one of the things that I would recommend for people who are HR, who are in this position, is to educate yourself about fat phobia. Mm-hmm. Educate yourself about fat phobia, but also take inventory of yourself about how you personally feel about fat. Because when somebody who is larger walks into your business to do an interview and you look them up and down, you're not saying, hey, I don't think that they have um, the physical capability to do the job based on what you're seeing, mm-hmm. right? Because they haven't lifted anything. They haven't moved anything. Exactly. But what you are basing your judgment on is how you think and feel about fat people as a whole, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're saying, I looked at this person and I don't think that they can do the job, then that pulls in, you know, your ideas of fat people aren't as capable. Fat people are lazy, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't know if they have the know-how. Fat people are uneducated. And none of that has to do with the person who's actually in front of you, you. right? 
That's an internal issue. That's an Mm -hmm. internal issue that's bleeding into things that are interpersonal. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to to hiring managers is to really educate yourself um, about fat phobia and what is considered weight stigma, because sometimes we don't know. There are things that we've grown up with that we thought were funny or that we thought was acceptable to say. Mm -hmm. And so we say them and we don't give much thought to them when they actually do do harm to other groups of people. Yeah. And so you educate yourself about those things and you unpack um, those things. If you are a business that hires people like, um, you know, there are some businesses that ask for individuals' portfolios that have their pictures and things in them, right? Maybe some of the things you want to think about is um, removing the picture requirement. Um, because mm-hmm. if people judge based on what they see, mm-hmm. um, that's an issue. Yeah. Uh, and and, it, and these types of practices have also been implemented um, as it relates to people who are of different races, right? So you don't do pictures. Um, some people do um, kind of like their double blind applications. Mm-hmm. So you don't know where the person lives and you don't know the person's name, right? Until after you get them reviewing the material. Yeah. Because none of those things become as relevant. Right. Um, so you can think about, you know, incorporating maybe processes around those ideas that kind of remove identity um, from candidates um, until it's necessary to have it. Yeah. Right. But I think the biggest barrier as it relates to HR um, and interviewing is going to be those things. I think in addition to that, mm-hmm. um, when we start talking about materials and resources, I always tell people you want to make sure that you have chairs without arms um, because if it's about the interview and mm-hmm. I come in and I force this to, to, you know, wiggle myself into a chair that doesn't yeah. And then I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also embarrassed because I know I don't fully fit in this chair and you probably know it too, right? That's going to impact how I communicate with you. Am I going to shine and be my best person or be the best candidate? Probably not, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to keep, you know, keep in mind about those things too. If diversity and inclusion is something that you're putting in the forefront of your organization or your business, make sure that you mean that for everybody, Yeah. right? And these are easy steps. Nobody's saying that you have to buy, you know, replace all your chairs with, you know, super, super large chairs. No, just get chairs that allow people to, that will hold them and allow them to expand. Yes. Right. Something that can be used by both smaller people and larger body people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I also tell people that there are ways to to incorporate just simple helps. Make sure there's enough space in between your furniture. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me to come back into a cubicle if I got to shimmy all the way back there. And, you know, because, again, Mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed. Right. I know that I'm inconveniencing other people. Mm -hmm. uh, And so I don't want to do that either. No. Um, when it comes to higher higher up as it relates to institutional practices, um, it's still interpersonal in nature. Um, I think that sometimes this is easier done um, when you can, you know, circulate. Let's say like you can circulate um, like articles or something like, oh, yeah. I found this, this article. I think it's really, really cool. They have some really great insight in here, mm-hmm. you know, so that this is a business that is, you know, you kind of hype it up a little bit. I know that this is an organization that's dedicated towards diversity and inclusion. And how awesome would it be if we could implement X? Yes. Right. Um, You know, there may be times where you might need to pull somebody aside and say, hey, can I have a conversation with you about this Mm -hmm. Um, and talk to them in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think all of those things are strategies that are used regularly 
Um, you know, doing workshops is another one, bringing someone in to have conversations about these things. Yeah. Um, in part because fat phobia is so normalized. Mm-hmm. And so one, people may not even understand why you're bringing up the topic in the first place. Like what yeah. is such a big deal, right? And then once you're there having to deal with the pushback that it's not okay, you shouldn't do it, it's gonna be another hurdle to leap. And so um, those are some of the strategies that I would use. Thank you so much for sharing those. And I, I really love how you talk about the importance of looking within first, because I think a lot of times people don't do that. Mm-hmm. And if you think about as we look within, I mean, when we talk about breaking glass ceilings and, and women in the workplace being equal and equal pay and so on, you think the easiest thing for men to think of is that, okay, well, I have a mother, I have sisters, I have aunts and, and, and people in my family who are women who are doing great things. You, you kind of try to get people to think on that level. And mm-hmm. the same thing is true when you think about it in this instance, like, if you think about your entire family, everyone does not look like you, right? right? You still interact with them in one way or another. And so as you think about the workplace and you're thinking about creating a sense of belonging in the workplace, then when you look at all the people in your workplace and you think about that everyone is not the same in your family, everyone will not be the same in your workplace, um, but everybody's bringing everyone's together for a common goal. We want the business to succeed. We want the business to make money so that we can live comfortable lives. Right. And when you look at it from that perspective, when you look within and you think to yourself, okay, what do I really need from this person? I need this person to be able to feel comfortable in their role. Um, I've hired them because they can do the role. That's why I'm hiring this person because I believe they've brought enough to the table to convince me they can do this job. Mm-hmm. And we think about that first and foremost, and then we get to know who the person is on the inside. And we don't focus on the aesthetics of it all. Right. Yeah. And I think when you look across industries and you think about people who have, who have changed the, the dynamic for certain industries, I cannot help but think of Lizzo. Mm-hmm and what she's done for for females in the music industry. And I know she gets a lot of flat and, but she, you know, she's there fighting on. And I think of Ashley Graham Mm -hmm. um, as a woman in the modeling industry, you know, changing the way people look at models as being these stick figures versus being the kind of people that she is and that look like us. Um, and I can't help but think of those people who have in, in the movie industry and so on, but also in the, when I think about the corporate space, do you, how many people do you see that really, when I say look like me or look like you, how many of those people do we really see? And, and the truth of the matter is, it's, it's very few and far between because fat phobia is real. Right. It's very real. Right. Very real and in a lot of ways internalized. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you think about how many people who may have lived in a larger body who then refuse to be seen Mm -hmm. in the spotlight in a larger body. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do whatever I can so that I can be X. Right. Um, And I think that that pressure is real. I mean, I think there are a number, you know, even when we think about a number of people on uh, freelance individuals. Right. So Mm -hmm. people who have their own businesses. Mm -hmm. um, who have kind of been pushed into the mainstream, who did start out in larger bodies, 
they're getting weight loss surgery. They're getting weight loss you know? surgery. They're getting weight loss surgery and, yeah. and all of those things. And, and, and a lot of that is because of what they've been told um, about their ability to move forward, right? What that, mm-hmm. what that looks like. And then, you know, internalized issues as well. But, you know, I think that there's a great pressure on people that if you are going to be in the spotlight, yeah, right, then it would be in your best interest to change. And I think Lizzo is one of the people that we can see um, in some ways, the consequence when that doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. You're so right. But keep on fighting, Lizzle. Yeah, for sure. We see you. We see you. So I want to ask you this. Um, what resources um, would you share with the audience that you think they might find useful to help them in terms of understanding fat phobia outside of yes first and foremost go read this book people if you do not have this book go get it um there's another point that you make in your book this is my adhd switch in conversations (laughs) but there's another point that you make in your book about throwing away the measuring tape and doing away with bmi now i think this is a very important point there's a doctor that i there's a doctor that I watch every once in a while on TikTok, but she talks about um, body mass index being something that's, you know, it's been put there to help to create this stigma. But body mass index is not what we really should be focusing on when you go to your doctor. There are certain questions that you should be asking. BMI is not one of them. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't want to give away too much from your book, but I just I know that this is a really important point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that BMI is not a measure of health, mm-hmm. right, per se. I think that there are, I mean, if you, we have so much ta- technology in healthcare, yeah. right? This is the thing that is the crux that um, in a lot of ways determine what type of care of fat people get. Um, and for there to be so much weight, no pun intended, placed on this one measurement, Um, You know, and now people say, well, it's just a snapshot. It helps to add to the rest of the puzzle. But Mm -hmm. if you are using this one piece, it's almost like BMI is this part of the puzzle. Right. And then everything else is like the, you know, the the little outline. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh Um, And so it's like, but it's a very big piece of the puzzle. Yeah. um, That in a lot of ways is used to justify limited care and access to people who have larger bodies um, mm-hmm. when it comes to the well-being of themselves. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that it's not a good measurement of health. Mm-hmm. Um, the BMI has been criticized up and down and all yeah. around. Um, and at some point we got to get to a place to where if holistic health is really where we're trying to get to, um, we got to find an alternative. Yeah. Do something that, else. Definitely. I agree. Let's get back to that question on resources. resources. What resources would you share with our audience, especially as HR professionals that would help them in terms of understanding what fat phobia is and, Mm. you know, helping them to call themselves out to do better, to be better. What are some of the things we can be, be reading? So there are some, um, some, some spaces that I think offer really good information. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is from Reagan Chastain. Um, she, her handle is typically dances with fat. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done a lot of work, um, workshops, things of that nature around fat phobia and more specifically fat phobia in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would probably be a good resource to tap. Um, 
a lot of the people that I follow in my community kind of deal with fat phobia um, in more intersectional ways. And so I'm thinking about people like Ivy Felicia, who mm-hmm. kind of runs the platform Fat Women of Color mm-hmm. and the work that she does. Um, Veronica Garnett is a registered dietitian who is the president over ASDA, which is the Association for Size, Diversity and Health. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, there's a lot of resources that ASDA has to offer as it relates right. to this. Um, there's also Tigress Osborne, who is the president of NAFA, which is the, um, oh boy, it's like the National Acceptance, NAFA, the National Association for Fat Acceptance. Mm-hmm and something else. Okay. It, it patterns the NAACP. So okay, it, but it's okay. NAFA. Okay. Ah, it's the, NAA, okay, it's the NAAFA. Okay. Um, and she's the president of NAFA and they've done a good amount of like workshops and work um, around fat phobia, mm-hmm. fat phobia in the workplace, and then also dealing with fat phobia intersectionality. So mm-hmm. through an intersectional lens, um, those are great things. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's always books. Um, yeah to read and of course now things escape me um Leah Vernon came out with a book about the musings of a Muslim like a Muslim woman um and so kind of looking at how her lived experience has been impacted by fat phobia mm-hmm. um also you know when we start talking about Islam phobia um and racism mm-hmm. yeah. um I'll have to get you a list. That's okay. Because I'm drawing a blank. That's but okay. I think You've a lot a of those people, yeah, a lot of a lot of those organizations um, are definitely plugs and networks to other connections yeah. um, of people who are doing this work. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Any any final thoughts, recommendations that you'd like to make to the to the audience that you're speaking to today, mainly HR professionals from all over the world when it comes to fat phobia in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, for me, right, I think that we can live in a world where we all honor one another um, and we honor each other's bodies and we value what we bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I talk about weight stigma and I talk about fat phobia, to me, this is like more than a hot topic, right? This is my life. Exactly. Um, and whether people want to accept it or not, fat bodies are not going to disappear. Um, they've been here since the beginning of time and they will continue to be here. And so it really behooves us to learn how we can, you know, um, be in spaces with one another, honor one another, yeah. um, because there may be some things that I have to offer that you're not going to get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you cut off um, groups of people based on your own biases, you also cut off your own progress. Yep. You don't get the insight that's necessary. Mm -hmm. Your business won't be as great as it can be, right? Mm -hmm. You won't increase productivity the way that you think that you will um, because the magic that you need is residing in the bodies that you reject. Mm. Okay. So I think- Again, please- that's so beautiful. I'm yeah. Say it again. So the magic that you need um, is resting in the bodies that you reject. And so if you want to be best at what you do, 
right? Then you got to learn to see with a different set of eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, you know, and, and for me, that's, that's the most important thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I would just throw out there too, for, for people who live in larger bodies, who are looking for additional resources as it relates to being more comfortable in the workplace, like, you know, one, you should be comfortable, be comfortable enough to ask if you need accommodations, right? So if you need a chair without arms, if you need a larger chair, you know, um, be be comfortable with asking for that. Yeah. But in addition to that, when it comes to clothes, because I know I kind of pointed this out earlier, yeah. um, I found a great resource in in um in a business called E Shakti. Ooh. It's spelled E S H A K T I, and they tailor clothes. So you order them online and you put your measurements in, and they'll ship the clothes to you done. Wow. Um, and I believe that they go up to a size 42. Okay. Okay. So, um, for reference, I'm, 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 I would say I'm about a 24, 26. Yeah. So, you know, knowing that you, you know, if your hips are 70 inches, 80 Mm -hmm. inches, there's a place where you can go, um, that will get you clothes that are tailored mm-hmm. and they're reasonably priced. Yeah. They also take Afterpay, I think, or Klarna or one of those. Okay. So you can split okay. the payments too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like those resources are helpful, right? So if you mm-hmm. need something, you can always buy it and you know that it's going to be tailored to you so you don't have to ship it back and do all of that extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess those are the things that I would add and, and thanking you once again for having me here on the show. Oh, um, it's really been pleasure. great to talk about this. Thank you so much for being here and for saying yes. Um, I really feel that this is a very important conversation. Like you said, it's one that we don't have very often mm-hmm. in the workplace. It's one that we don't have at all that I've heard of from an HR perspective. Like I've never, I've never been to a conference um, an HR conference where, you know, we've talked about things like weight, weight shaming, fat shaming, mm-hmm. fat phobia in the workplace. And I feel that it's important for us to do that as we start to really understand what diversity, equity and inclusion means, because it's, it's more than race. It's more than LGBTQI. It's, it's more than all of those things. But those two things are usually what are at the forefront of diversity, equity, and inclusion and what it means to make people of different colors feel like they belong from different races and nationalities. And how do we you know, make people in the LGBTQI community feel like they belong? But we don't talk about how do we make people of a different size feel like they belong because we don't all look the same. We're all different. How do we help people like us to belong <laughs> because right. we're people too. Right. And our identities are interconnected, right? So yeah. if you're part of the LGBTQI um, population, you could also be fat. Yeah. Right? So people, you know, you can't decide not to take part of yourself to work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? I can't, I can't take just the black part of me to work. Like I'm, I'm, not, take take, my I'm not taking my size right, to work. Right, 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 right. I got to take all of those things. All of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So we also have to start to think about how we can move conversation forward in a way that it captures those nuances, right? It's not just about being black. It's about being a black woman Mm -hmm. because that's a different narrative, right? Right. There's a different narrative about black women versus Mm -hmm. black men versus black kids, Mm -hmm. like all of those things, right? So Mm -hmm. let's find a way to have 
more constructive dialogue around that so that we can get at better um better solutions to those issues absolutely thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with me today where first of all what's next for dr joy cox dr joy cox is going to try to sleep um <laughs> like rest is like a thing uh-huh. um, but I, I you know i'm working on a couple projects so the hope is that you know people will be seeing and hearing a little bit more about me Wonderful. um in the near future as it relates to the work that i'm doing mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean I, i'm trying trying to lay low a little bit the anniversary of the book is coming up in about a month yeah um yeah so i hope so, you're gonna do something special yeah, there'll probably be some type of celebration around that. Nice. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty chill right now trying okay. to, you know, just build, build a little in silence, but you know, eventually mm-hmm. everyone will see it. Wonderful. Where can our amazing listeners find you on social media if they want to interact with you? Yeah, so you can find me on social media as Fresh Out the Cocoon. That's uh, IG and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Joy Cox, all one word, uh, is drjoycox.com is my website. And then there's Jabby. I don't know. You probably can't see my shirt, but it says fit. Yeah, uh-huh. it says fit yeah. is not I a body, body size. Type. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, our body type. Um, mm-hmm. And so Jabby is... Um, one of the newest endeavors that that I had the pleasure of being on. I'm a co-founder, um, and it is a community. It's an identity inclusive, body affirming community wellness app, nice. um, and it's an app that encourages people to move their bodies in their own ways and to find support and encouragement to do so. Um, and that is Jabby app on Instagram as well as uh, getjabby.com is the website. Okay, you spell that J A. B-B-I-E. J-A-B-B-I-E. Awesome. Great. I will include all of those links in the comments. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Joy Cox. I really appreciate you. Our audience appreciates you. We wish you all the best. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again in the next Sound Off.